What we reach tonight, the ninth commandment, some months back when we began our studies in the Ten Commandments, those great words that God spoke, Mount Sinai, and which were intended for all generations, all the benefits, all the blessings, all that is the right thing to do and the wrong thing to avoid. We reach then Exodus 20, verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Entitled the sermon, then telling it as it is, telling it as it is. Our words are expressive, aren't they, of our aims, our intentions, our goals and our purposes. Sometimes our words say rather more than we, we intend them to say and uh, we give ourselves a way in, in our words. And words are personal, what we speak, what we speak about people, what we speak to people. It is very personal, person to person. That's why it talks about not being false witness against your neighbor. That's where the lies told against your neighbor, to your neighbor, about your neighbor. And this is something that God takes great offense at. And, well, we read Colossians uh, chapter 3 and uh, the New Testament, and elsewhere we could have taken as well what it says there, do not lie to one another since you put off the old man with his deeds, belong to the old base desires, as Charles Wesley's hymn we've just sung there, and the prayer that God would burn it up like dross. Well, that's what he intends to do, that we leave that behind and embrace what we'll come to in due course, telling the truth, telling it as it is. And in that we are as image bearers, as though we are insulting God himself. When we lie, we actually are insulting God himself, that we are his image bearers made in his image. He has put upon us a, a great value, that we are worthy, therefore, of the respect of each other. And when we lie, it is to take that respect away. It is to rubbish it. It is to disrespect people. Interesting with the case of Ananias and Sapphira, when they tried to deceive the church and trying to make themselves to look uh, better than they they were, some money that they had uh, from the sale of uh, of some land, and they kept some of it back, which they were perfectly entitled to do. But they made it out that they had given all of the money from the sale to the church, whereas, in fact, that was not true. And that effort to appear more than they were in the sight of the church, well, there, Peter, under inspiration, when Ananias comes in, uh, Peter is on his case because God is on Ananias's case. Peter said, Ananias, Acts 5, verse 3, why has Satan filled your heart to lie? There's the word, to the Holy Spirit, Mr. God, you see. And keep back part of the price of the land for yourself while it remained. Was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? And here it is. You've not lied to men, but to God. You have lied in in a doubly uh, difficult way that all men are image bearers, but how much the more in the church? That uh, there to try to carry off this deception, well, it is to lie to God. And therefore the judgment very graphically fell upon Ananias and Sapphira at that particular point. To lie in that way is to be selfish. It is to wish to have, as Ananias and Sapphira wish to have, some advantage, some good name, reputation. They wish themselves to have the admiration of others or their respect 
and their esteem, and they used deceit in order to try to get it, deceit that God saw through with the results that happened. Ananias fell dead, and later his wife Sapphira, when she carried on the story, she too fell dead at the apostles' feet. It is disrespectful, the people and the God who made them. So it is to say that you're not worthy of my respect. We tell a lie against somebody else, that you are not worthy of being well thought of by other people, that I am out to kind of disrespect you, to have your honour or any esteem that might be given to you taken away from you, that people will think of you negatively, that they will think of you as a lesser person. That's what we do when we lie about people. But it's similarly, we disrespect people when we lie to them. We're effectively saying, I want to use you. I want to manipulate you. I want to get an outcome from you that is going to be of benefit to me. And I feel a necessity to lie in order to get that. That's what Ananias and Sapphira were doing, really, with Peter, that they, they wanted to have, as it were, Peter's good word, and that they would be the church's good word. But Peter had been prompted by God to see through their subterfuge. And he was lied to, but he directs the lie away from himself, indeed away from the church, and says, we actually lied to God. You've disrespected him, because we are his image bearers, and the church is his household. And therefore, you've lied actually to him. You wanted to get something, some esteem from people, some admiration from people, and you were prepared to manipulate and to misuse Peter's office in order to secure it. So we disrespect people we lie about, and we disrespect people that we lie to. You can see how other commandments can get broken. People that hate other people, wish them ill, sixth commandment type of stuff. Well, they might tell lies against them out of jealousy, out of envy. Out of just pure hatred, vindictiveness, desire for vengeance. And so lies are told about people in that. Thought about adultery the other week. And well, adultery is a lie. Every adulterer is a liar. Not every liar is an adulterer, but every adulterer is a liar. That they are telling a lie to their partner, to, to themselves, to whoever it is they're committing adultery with. Now, often those people who I've been involved in that. I promise, oh, I shall leave my wife, I'll leave my husband. But then it never happens. They were lied to as well, because adultery has at its heart a lie. Theft, we thought about that last week. Theft is often constructed around deceit, careful setups by scammers there. A lot of thoughts got into it. You can see it with Ananias and Sapphira. They'd agreed in their hearts they worked this one out. And scammers do, don't they? have to, some sense, admire their ingenuity. Never thought of that myself, and I'm sure you didn't either, but how they can come up with these plans to try to uh, uh, make us part with our money and uh, bank account details there, and uh, that's a lie. They are telling lies as part of their theft. So much of it is, and we thought about that with, with theft, that there is contempt for society. There's contempt for the wider community that uh, you're not worth enough, that we can steal from you, we can lie in order to gain from you, and we're not that annihilated, as if it's a sort of victimless crime if you've committed it against society. So we understand this. It's very depressing to hear it, but let me pass it on to you. You know, when we're into a 
lockdown and the chance of the exchequer there was making a all of this pitch about furlough payments that be made that uh, all the people had to stay at home well payments will be paid to to them well we were hearing from a neighbor actually who we take her in a word here filled out her furlough claim honestly but an awful lot of other people weren't and they were working moonlighting while claiming that they were furloughed and not declaring their earnings and claiming the government money and there are lots of claims. The governments, well, if they saw through them or whether they just waved them through, I'm not sure. But uh, we feared a lot of money went to the wrong people because people lied. People lied on their applications. They lied in order to get money. And so theft, lying, these go together. And society, well, if you're a taxpayer, I'm sure most of us probably are in that way or paid our taxes in the past. Well, we've just been robbed. Friends, we've just been robbed. We've been lied to. Uh, the government's acting as proxy for us. They've been lied to. And really, it's not the government that was lied to. It was all of us. We, we were lied to. And people have got money that they weren't entitled to. Disabilities there. Well, that's Caroline with her shoulder there. The injury looked pretty uh, pretty convincing to me and uh, palpably so. And I'm going to be playing a piano there for a fair few weeks. But the number of uh, forms to be filled in. And that was because of fraud. The number of people that fake a disability. Any number that uh, fall on the ice or whatever else they claim there. But it's all a fake. And they fake doctor's kind of letters. And there has to be the doctor's actual signature on it. Because that's only too easy to forge that and to try to get a disability payment. So that sadly is culture. And our culture is a huge sight better than many cultures where really that's just a way of life. What I've just described is normal. And uh, is unfortunately so, so corrosive. There, a man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a club, a sword, and a sharp arrow. Proverbs 25, verse 18. It is distinctly antisocial. And as uh, we've seen that uh, God's judgment is upon such behaviors, Colossians 3, and following do not lie to one another in Colossians 3, verse 9. Uh, well, previous to that, we've learned that uh, these things are going to bring the wrath of God. This is because of these things, verse 6, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. And Revelation chapter 22, at uh, the end of time, as it were, there in verse 15, those outside the new Jerusalem but outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually moral murderers and idolaters. And whoever loves and practices a lie, whoever loves and practices a lie. Some people lie very, very convincingly, very easily. And we can see loving and practicing a lie, a bit like Ananias and Sapphira outside of the city. Well, that by way of introduction, first heading what the commandment covers. What does it cover? Well, it covers words, it surely does, but it's also looking at the inner world that those words come out of, what's in the human heart, the very uh, originating place of, of such lies. That's what Peter says about Ananias and Sapphira. How could you, how could you agree in your hearts to this? How, how could you conceive this thing? Because it arises out of the inner world, our sinful nature. And the commandment invites us to think about this. Why, why do we do it? Why, why do we lie? Uh, why do other people lie? And to interrogate ourselves about that. But it's not just what we say. Of course, it is what we might be thinking, what we're constructing there. But it also includes such things as what we hear. 
We may not be the, the perpetrator of the liar, but we may be the one who transmits it on or who gives it a little bit too much house space and entertains it and allows it to sort of work around and allows a person's reputation and our own thinking to sort of be diminished because we've, we've actually entertained a lie. We've heard it, perhaps retold it to somebody else, assimilated it in some way, even though it might be something that we haven't checked for ourselves. It may be uh, false and unproven. The person saying it may not be particularly reliable. Uh, we may wonder how they've come by this and why they're telling it to us in the first place. So the paying attention to lies or, or to gossip, of course, that's, that's the one, isn't it? That people can be a kind of like a Dyson hoovering it up there. I'm mixing up my uh, products here, aren't I just, but hoovering up, uh, gossip and being willing to, to hear it. Proverbs, um, 18. There in verse 8, the words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles, and they go down into the inmost body. Well, they get consumed, don't they? they they're quite enjoyable, and people, people like to hear a bit of this, and it goes down to the inmost body. That doesn't speak well of the inmost body, and it's entertaining, it's holding of those things. So the thought of entertaining lies, falsehoods, untruths, is also a breaking of the commandment. It's not just the speaking of it, it's the hearing of it and the holding on to it and perhaps acting upon that knowledge or ignorance as it may perhaps better be cast. What else? Well, it can be just straightforward untruths. The Ananias and Sapphira territory. Uh, we can think of in the Old Testament when uh, Ahab was looking to acquire the vineyard of Naboth. And Jezebel it was who hatched the plot that at a feast uh, some scoundrels would come and say that they've heard Naboth speaking against God and against the king and that he should be therefore taken out and, and, and put to death. The lie. The man was a noble man, an upright man, and he was lied against. And in that case, he was murdered and his property was stolen. So he got a whole body of commandments that were broken in that particular moment. Our Lord Jesus Christ, of course, suffered from false witnesses at his trial. Matthew chapter 26, and uh, just reading a little portion there from verse 59, when he's uh, before the Sanhedrin, Caiaphas, the high priest, and uh, all the others, scribes and elders assembled. Now we read the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. That the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? Well, it's really such an embarrassing trial, isn't it? That uh, any judge worth their salt would have thrown the whole case out. That, well, any judge worth their salt would not be seeking false testimony. Anything. Let's just hear anything. Any old story. Let's hear it, we'll believe it. But they couldn't actually find any that were worth believing. We read elsewhere that the false witnesses couldn't even agree among themselves what they were saying. And uh, that is usually the uh, time and the place where a case collapses. That's where a case collapses. Except, of course, it doesn't hear because it's being driven forward by hatred and prejudice of the worst, worst kind. And so th there are these uh, false witnesses and well, we can see within what they say. The fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. 
But elsewhere we read that in Scripture, he meant it of his body. That, the true temple of the Holy Spirit, will destroy that, and I'm able to build it in three days. That, of course, is telling us about his resurrection after three days. But look, this is what is done here. Take something out of context. Take words out of context. That, that is lying, straightforward untruths. And then, well, there are the ways in which people say it can be twisted, can be misrepresented. Something they might have said humorously is then treated as if it was seriously. Something that is an idiom in English is then treated as if it's literal. All ways in which conventions are, are overturned in order to put a construction upon what is said. That's what these people are doing here. This is a construction. And there's no effort to actually find out what this means. It's just taken as though it was a bit of wanton destruction and vandalism that our Lord had intended against the temple. Temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. As in Jeremiah, the mantra was that people would say. So here is lying. Conjecture, an opinion stated as a fact. Well, that's, that is lying. If it is only a conjecture on the part of the person, they've heard something and now they're putting their interpretation upon it. And they're not saying, this is my interpretation, as if to say, you might want to check this, but stating it as though it's a fact or an opinion that they have and producing evidence to support that opinion, which is perhaps manufactured, exaggerated. Here it is. We exaggerate. We add We subtract from things. The words actually were said. We take away some, again, vital part of the context, or we add a bit of context which wasn't there, and we, some way or other, make those words not really what was meant, not really what was said or intended, but painted as something far worse than that, something quite negative, something which we guaranteed, just as these false witnesses knew, this would be guaranteed to get the pulse quickened of the Sanhedrin, to get the high priest off his feet, as it, on his feet, and indeed it did. And it worked. It went down the right way there from that point of view. Flattery is to lie, isn't it? To exaggerate a person's virtues or achievements, to speak those things up, not because it's sincerely done, but because you're looking to get something from that person. You're looking to get some preferment, maybe. Well, you're thought to be a decent fellow through your flattery there, or a decent woman. So you'll get some preferment, some help. And that, unfortunately, is so often the case in the world out there, isn't it? The desire to to get something. Well, sometimes flattery is actually cover for an enmity that uh, it's in wrong footing you. So you wouldn't believe that that person would be actively plotting against you. They're saying such nice things about you. It's so disarming. And it's good cover if you're actually up to no good. Lying, we're making the obvious seem complex and conflicted. There are some things that are very straightforward, very obvious things. Well, who a man is, who a woman is, well, we might might have that. That's very much with us, isn't it, at the moment there. But to take something and make it sound, it's actually very complex, this. It's very deep and very, very, very hard to understand, you know. Really, that, that's to lie about something that in their conscience they know is straightforward and that they're having to say it. I know here we're thinking of politicians, aren't we, who are, uh, are being skewered on this particular one. It's now the uh, 
you know, the question to ask uh, politicians, or what, what is a woman, you know, what is a man? <laughs> Quite straightforward stuff this really, but no. Uh, it's yielding dividends there to interviewers who ask the question and just watch them squirm with it. Amazing stuff. And one just sees that they know at heart. They're having to say they've got their stonewall breathing down their necks. They've got mermaids and all these uh, people there who push the transgender thing. And of course, some parties there have made a great pitch to call in all these people into their membership. And uh, though I'm sure amongst much of the electorate out there, it's going down like a lead balloon. Uh, they're caught between the rock and the hard place. And the appeals of their membership on the one hand and appeals of the election on the other hand, they can't win. So they end up there saying, this is a very complex, very complex issue, this. Well, of course, there's nothing of the sort. But that's another way, I'm afraid, of lying. That, that is a way of uh, calculated deceit. Lying is also saying nothing when a falsehood is uttered, and we know it is, and we say nothing. We allow it to be said. We allow it to travel we allow it to poison people's minds, to, to be heard by them. And we think, well, I could have stood up and said no. You know, sometimes haven't we? we've had to do that and defend people's reputations. And so it's a bit more to the story than that. Uh, it's not quite all that there is there. There's a bit more to that person than that. Maybe that there's some fault there and we don't defend the indefensible. But sometimes we do have to go at least uh, there to somebody's defense and to say, well, there's, there's a bit more to that. There's two sides to the story. And, and just introduce that. So staying silent when falsehood is uttered, this commandment covers that as well. So my second heading, telling the truth, telling the truth, which of course isn't always easy. I think if that truth is going to land you in deep water, uh, then one is very careful how one explains and how one puts the truth and comes at it with the best attitude, the most respectful attitude that one can. But telling the truth is actually vital to the health of society. That without it, well, societies that are often corruptions endemic and lies are told, well, it's hard there to, to trust people. Uh, it's hard there to know if they promise something, whether they'll actually do it. And it's very hard to run businesses in that kind of situation. Very hard to have good quality family life if, if lies are kind of endemic within it's hard in church life if something of that culture comes in and, and Paul is having to speak about that to the churches then because it was in the culture, lying, and immorality, having to speak about some very basic issues uh, of Christian ethics and, and what is a virtuous life because this was foreign. This was an alien concept. And I suppose our society here in Britain has, has benefited from a degree of honesty, uprightness that has marked us and characterized us. But one rather fears that it's being lost and uh, uh, the way in which uh, people can with facility lie, it, it, it is disturbing. But it is so corrosive. It's, it takes away trust. It takes away your, your confidence in people that what they say is what they mean. What they mean is what they say. Promises become worthless. And all kinds of things collapse. Well, looking forward to the wedding, aren't we? Uh, this Friday coming and promises that are made. And we would feel confident that our friends mean the promises they're making. But we also know that lots of those promises went down pretty quick and uh, didn't take long before one side or the other had broken their promises in, in a very spectacular way. And that is indeed very sad. Yes must mean yes. No must mean no. Within that, if we're telling the truth, well, it means we are loving our neighbour 
as ourself. It shows that we do love our neighbour, that we respect them, that we do not like to be lied to. Um, the disrespect that it is to us, we don't like, I think, at our best to hear lies about other people. And we know that these things are false. And so somewhere within it, we're loving people. We're, we're wanting the best for them. We're not wanting their reputations to be destroyed. We're not wanting them to be thought negatively of in a way that is very, very unfair. Not wanting to see hatred sort of stoked up. And well, we tread carefully, don't we, with the war there in, in Ukraine at the moment. And, uh, well, trying just to understand the situation as best we can uh, and not to be part of an industry of stirring up hatred there against people, even though those people may actually be very, very much in the wrong. We love people too much to manipulate them, to get a desired result, to, uh, to lie to them in order to get something from them, some result that we, we need, some benefit that we're looking for for ourselves or for others close to us. You know, we love people too much to treat them with such disrespect, image bearers of, of God, we ourselves being renewed in his image, so that means being brought nearer to his character, and so we respect people, we'll tell them the truth, we'll We'll be open with them. We'll be careful how we say it and what we say. We'll be as gentle as we can, careful as we can. But we will be open, try to be sincere, upright. It shows within we value relationships, real relationships, not sort of a, a fake relationship, not a, a sort of flattery kind of situation. We really do value each other, value the relationships that we have, and we're jealous to protect those relationships. Doesn't mean we agree on everything. No, far from it. But it means that we will agree in a way that is more comfortable because we will respect each other. Easy in disagreements for a person then to kind of go ad hominem, as we say, and start not actually talking about the subject, but about the person and undermining the case that the person has by undermining the person themselves. And so often that's, uh, that's been the case. Some scientists recently just writing how because they, they dared to differ from a a kind of mainstream, we'll put that in inverted commas, mainstream position, that they then end up being vilified. Nobody answered the case that they brought. Nobody sort of said, well, we might have a point here, let's have a look. And then maybe at the end of a reasoned discussion, disagree. But they just took it into their heads to disagree with this group of scientists by then undermining them and smearing them uh, and say, oh, they're not really, they're not really qualified to say anything. Well, actually, some of them are very eminently qualified, probably more qualified than the people making the criticisms. And so we look to, to value people, treat them with dignity, even when we disagree with them. And it doesn't mean training ourselves as far as we can to see the whole person. It even means trying to understand when people lie, why they've lied. Well, what is it that, that pushed them to that? And actually trying to help them see you don't, don't need to do that. You really don't. That things can happen without you having to resort to lying to make it happen. Ananias, Sapphira, you know, you're well thought of in the church. You need to go and do this in order to preserve that, that good name. You, you had a good name. You haven't got a good name now. And you're there in Acts 5 and you are in all perpetuity. And it hasn't, uh, it hasn't worked out at all there. So we understand people, try to see the whole person. But in that, we're valuing relationships. We're jealous for their preservation, well-being, to love our neighbor as ourselves. We'll find out the truth. To tell the truth, you have to find out the truth. What is the truth? And that may take time and it may take effort. It may also mean we unearth inconvenient facts. 
uh, we often just want everybody to be all good or all bad. And it's often shades of grey, isn't it? In there, they're inconvenient facts that we find out as we probe. And we think, dear, I didn't know that they could be like that. Uh, I didn't know they could say that or do that. Oh, dear. And it becomes part of our kind of understanding of that person. It's just like you look at a river, don't you, there? And well, I can think of Lynmouth in North Devon and oh, what a placid and nice bubbling brook it is that goes through Lynmouth. My, was it 1952? I can't quite remember the year, but well, it's just the perfect storm's worth of weather events and the water came plunging down from Exmoor and, well, it's uh, killed many people in them. The rocks that it carried, the damage it did, you wouldn't believe it, looking at it on a normal day. Oh, you ought to see it when it's in full spate like that. It's another story altogether. And so we have to find out sometimes inconvenient things that uh, make us look at people a little bit differently at times and always be ready to review the findings that we have. In a sense, everything is provisional because people can change. They can grow out of that, leave that behind, work it out for themselves that, that lying doesn't, doesn't work. God isn't pleased with it. It upsets people. Perhaps we oughtn't to do it. And so in that way, we're teachable, ready to learn about each other, see each other in a different light, find out the truth, ask questions. Sometimes that's it, the want of asking a question or two, and uh, the answers may be helpful, and the answers may actually leave us more worried at the end of it than before we ask those questions. But we, we owe it really to each other, situations like that. Find out the truth. We have to accept people do tell lies. Now, that's a hard one, isn't it? We have to accept it. People do tell lies. And in that, we might say governments tell lies, I'm afraid. Scientists tell lies, I'm afraid. Church leaders tell lies, I'm afraid. Women do it, men do it, children do it. Everybody does it, it would seem. Now, that doesn't mean, therefore, distrust everything anybody ever says. No, we should be ready to be satisfied with good answers. We ask questions and we get some good answers to those questions that are plausible and and. Yes, that makes sense. I get it. Then that's fine. We, we're we ready to believe. But of course, we can't be gullible. There's certain things that we hear sometimes that just do not add up uh, and leave us then with the difficulty that they lie. <laughs> and it's uncomfortable. And we are always reluctant to have to believe it, but believe it we must that people do tell lies. For us, it means think about our words. If we're telling the truth, telling it as it is. Then we need to think about our words. What's coming out of our mouths? How, how's that coming over? And if we're careless with words or a bit of a reputation to be it, then best say little to nothing. That is often the wisest thing that we can do is to say nothing. There's a place for silence, a place where scripture itself values uh, silence that uh, we might uh, resort to that. And that will be a counter wisdom. I'm just turning here to Proverbs 10 verse 19, which I think will make that or a similar point when I, I I get there. Proverbs 10 verse 19, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. There it is, restraint of lips, fewer words and better words, well thought out words, not careless words, quick to come words. Some of us are a bit nervous about interaction, find actually quite a strain talking. Uh, and often that can mean that we, we it doesn't come out right. <laughs> it just doesn't come out right. Well, if that is us, then often a bit of silence is, is the best, best cause of action there. That uh, if we're difficult with words, 
and uh, they, they play tricks on us, if you like. Then maybe a few of them, and thinking ahead when we say them, and trying to get them as near as we can right, then that's good. Listen to the words of others. Often that's the problem, isn't it? We don't, we don't quite hear what other people have said. Uh, we, we've missed something here, and uh, we jump to a conclusion too quickly, and we should therefore ask for clarification. Have I heard it right? Did I, did I get that? That if we want to tell the truth, we want to know that truth. And sometimes it means that we have to stop and, and ask a question. Value the truth. Got to value the truth. God is God of truth. That's, that's the image that we're being renewed in, the image of his son. And he is the way, the truth and the life. He speaks. He does not lie. Reading it uh, at the graveside of, um, at Reggie's funeral up at the cemetery there. That uh, if he's promised to go and prepare a place for us, then he will. If he's promised to come back and take us to where he is, then we know it's true. If it were not so, he said, I would have told you. So God is a God of truth. He doesn't uh, dangle a false hope in front of us. He doesn't say something because that will impress us. He tells us what we need to hear and he tells us what is true. He is a God of truth. He values truth. He desires truth in the inward and, and so should we. And where we see truth anywhere and everywhere, uh, we should be ready to applaud it. It's part of common grace that somewhere in the fallen man made in the image of God, nevertheless, there, there is uh, very often uh, a great uh, desire for the truth. See people who have been wronged, see people who have had injustice, they want the truth and they deserve the truth. And when police forces there uh, try and conceal it from them and Hospitals sometimes lie to people and tell them they're fine or oh, that never happened. And, and of course, we here, don't we, the, the horrible stories coming out of the, the hospitals in the Shrewsbury and Telford NHS Trust and infants there, babies that, uh, that weren't looked after as they should have been. And with infant mortality rate uh, far, far higher than the national average, yet it seemed to have been covered up. And, uh, and that's sad. We applaud then honesty. Honesty in doctors, honesty in scientists. We applaud good detectives who are determined to find out the truth, leave no stone unturned. Uh, and searching out. We applaud good journalists who want to know what the truth is and who make those sorts of inquiries, write very thoughtful pieces, and often do the police's work for them, don't they? We applaud good judges who, who realise, recognise the situation, render a good, weighted, well-constructed judgment. Truth sometimes, and saying of it, may require negative words. Uh, there are things which are to be said at times. Well, Paul, there with the Cretans, you look in Titus uh, chapter 1, what he, what he has to say about them, them there. They're always liars and uh, evil beasts and uh, lazy gluttons. And he says this, this testimony is true. That's a national trait. And he, under inspiration, could say it, say it as it is. And, well, didn't uh, speak up the Cretans too well there, or indeed the Galatians, or foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you. And uh, some strong words there to jolt them into a better way of thinking. But that's telling it as it is. And in telling it as it is, we're sharing God's perspective. This is a book of telling it as it is. It's a book that is our best friend, a critical friend, a very searching but very true, and for our good. For it's for all society's good, it's for the good of the church, it's for the good of all relationships, family situations, just friendships, that, uh, that there's honesty. 
and that we tell it as it is. And that is what the Ninth Commandment uh, is inviting us to be and to do. <laughs>